This is Inside Berkeley, and I'm Leslie O'Connell. On this episode, we invite Boston Conservatory at Berkeley President Richard Ortner and Berkeley Chief of Staff Melissa Howe to the Burns Studios for a conversation. As Ortner prepares to step down in his role as president, he talks about how pioneering a new way forward for the conservatory led to the merger, the synergy of the combined institution, and the future of conservatory education. Welcome to Inside Berkeley, Melissa and Richard. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. The merger of Boston Conservatory with Berkeley was a pioneering move. How did you figure out that this was really the right next step? Sure. Because lots of people were thinking with their head and their heart about what to do to keep this beautiful music alive. And a lot of conservatory leaders were coming to the same conclusions, that mm-hmm. um, the world's music was changing, uh, the way in which music was being created, distributed, consumed, all changing. Mm-hmm. And what did the model that conservatory training has represented for the last 7,500 years have to offer in that regard? Well, you know, leaders of any institution, I think, every couple of years want to take stock of what you've achieved and what your institution will need in order to thrive in the next five to ten years. That's a conversation you have with your faculty, with your with your boards of trustees, and frankly, with students of the next generation, mm-hmm. with, with the 16, 17, and 18-year-olds who are our audience for this, for this very challenging education we're offering. And invariably, we kept hearing that access to technology, access to a digital platform, access to a global presence, and access to a broader range of repertory choices um, would be the things that would characterize the best conservatory educations in the coming decades. Um, we thought about which of those things we wanted to tackle first. They all have a price tag on them. Mm. And because Berkeley and we, that is Roger Brown and I, have been cooperating around a number of things for the, for the last two decades, and certainly uh, in, a, in a much more purposeful way since Roger's arrival 12 years ago, um, we began thinking about what the world would look like if we were one institution. Mm. You must have spoken with people who thought this was brilliant and people who thought this was blasphemous. Do you have recollections of some of those conversations? Oh, I do. <laughs> <laughs> you bet. Um, seen from the outside, um, from some distance, from people who are not part of the music profession, either music profession, mm. um, they thought, well, of course, it's a no-brainer. It's a natural. And we were taking advantage of the happy accident of history that is, is such that we're next-door neighbors, that our campuses are literally intertwined. Seen by insiders uh, in both the classical and popular music worlds, um, at best, people had trouble understanding what we were up to and what we were on about and what we wanted to accomplish, with notable exceptions. Um, And at worst, they they thought exactly as you said, uh, that it was blasphemy. For the Berkeley faculty who remember the Berkeley clarion logo from whatever it was six or eight years ago that said Berkeley there's nothing conservatory about it and from the classically trained conservatory faculty um, who simply do not understand um, their art in terms of what Berkeley's focus is in terms of contemporary popular music um, 
there was there were some pretty strong opinions expressed. I'm sure. I'm sure. The question is: Was it is it rigorous or is it rigid? Is it flexible or is it flaky? (laughs) (laughs) Very well put. You can see those two different points of view uh, on pretty much anything that would have to do with the merger. Sure. Um, Now that we're just about one year into it, although Mm. the conversations have been public for two years, Mm -hmm. and we see the walls coming down between the two faculties, uh, I think the walls have long been mostly down among students. Mm -hmm. They're way out ahead of us on this. They've been collaborating on all kinds of things. Um, but faculty who have passed each other in the street for 20 years and simply nodded, you know, politely without even knowing what the person they were nodding to taught, what their name was, where they were from, what their Mm -hmm. professional accomplishments had been, that's over in a heartbeat. They are speaking to one another. They're introducing themselves to one another. They're finding common ground around issues of pedagogy and excellence. Um, it's... I think it's one of the great wins uh, for the merger. The, there's no question that uh, from a technical perspective, the, the combining of the two faculties is very challenging. As you know, the conservatory was an unranked non-union faculty. Berkeley has since the mid-1980s been a ranked union faculty. And so all of the conservatory faculty had to be ranked in this one year. And... Um, Sometime in the next couple of years, they will be part of the Berkeley faculty uh, uh, collective bargaining agreement. So those are very big changes, uh, full of meaning for our faculty. I I would say 99% of that meaning has a positive cast to it for our faculty. So that's all the good news. What were you most sure of when you decided to move this forward? And what kept you up at night? Hmm. What I was most sure of, I think, is that this was strategically the right Mm -hmm. thing for the Boston Conservatory, that there was an opportunity here that we'd be crazy not to take advantage of. If we had identified as things we needed, as I said before, that access to digital technology, access to music business instruction, access to a global platform in terms of music repertory and in terms of footprint, the 19 Berkeley International Partner Schools, the second campus in Valencia. These were all things that I felt the conservatory could take virtually immediate best use of, make best use of. Mm -hmm. And so far, it's proven true. Even in the scant year that we've been together, You know that we're starting our first opera program in Valencia. You know that beautiful uh, small-scale videos of conservatory activity in all three divisions, music, theater, and dance, have been produced by Berkeley crews, um, beautifully filmed, beautifully lit, beautifully edited post-production, and now up on the Berkeley YouTube channel, getting tens of thousands of views. This is nothing we could have done ourselves. We could have chosen one of those things and made a lunge at it and committed the resources doing it. But why reinvent that wheel? There it is sitting right next door. Um, By the same token, I knew from Roger that the, the, the interest in musical theater activity at a pretty advanced level was strong and growing at Berkeley. Music Theater Club was about 450 students last year, is what I was told. Um, Similarly, 
the the need for basic instruction in movement and dance. Um, for Berkeley, uh, it was a question of how they were going to obtain access to those things. And when we realized that each had significant things the other wanted and needed, that's when the conversation started to become very interesting. In terms of what kept me up at night, what still keeps me up at night, <laughs> is culture. Mm. Um, can you talk a little bit about conservatory culture? Because over this last couple of years, I thought I knew the conservatory because I have many colleagues from there. But over the last couple of years, I've really gotten to know it a bit better. <coughs> and you, of course, know it best of all. Can you describe to our listeners what it's like at Boston Conservatory at, Ber at Berkeley? Certainly. Uh, first of all, we're a small school. Um, fewer than 800 students uh, in all these recent years. Um, the three divisions, music, theater, and dance, operate very differently in terms of... There, there may, in fact, be three cultures at the Boston mm -hmm. Conservatory. But the things that characterize the entire conservatory and that are, that are really specific have to do with the conservatories being a high-touch environment. We know every one of our students by name. Parents, in fact, value that. They insist on it. Um, we, we listen to all of them. We hope we set good boundaries for all of them, but the collegiality between students and faculty is extraordinary. The focus on individual students, I think, is extraordinary. And one of the things that, that pleases me the most, I guess, is to watch how the students support one another. That's nothing short of extraordinary. They'll, they'll battle each other like crazy uh, during a casting call uh, for the for the lead roles. But then once the casting is announced, the gloves are off and everybody supports everybody else. And uh, when an understudy uh, gets a chance to go on in a performance, the support is extraordinary. Um, there's also a culture of sustained excellence in all three divisions. We don't really have superstars. Um, we, we, the bar is high in all three divisions. This is, I'm very proud of that. This is now the school that I wanted it to be when I arrived here nearly 19 years ago. Uh, it did take a village. Um, the faculty had everything to do with this, but together we raised the bar to the point where the Boston Conservatory is now competitive with the best schools in the country. And any diminution or loss of that culture and that status and that stature um, would be troubling. And we all know that Berkeley stands for excellence as well in the things that it is so very good at. But it's a much larger school. And I think in terms of uh, the, the way in which that population is differentiated, um, it has everything to do with the scholarshiping model. It has to do with a lot of things that are technical um, and having to do with the, the very different instructional models at the two schools. But it's that high-touch culture that our students value and that we will be at pains to foster in this new relationship. And that's, that's where the art comes into it, especially for my successor. Uh, we want to remain recognizably autonomous, but very much part of Berkeley. That's, that's after all, why we did this. Uh, we, there are two great brands in music education in the world. One is Juilliard, the other is Berkeley. We want to be part of that. I know you have a lovely anecdote about what 
how you decided to actually take the job when you were candidating. Could you tell that anecdote to yeah. our listeners that includes something about footwear? Sure. <laughs> I was a very unlikely candidate for this job. Uh, I did not come from a career in higher education. Um, many people know I, I was at the Boston Symphony for 23 years as, uh, for the last decade, the administrator of the Tanglewood Music Center, which is the orchestra's academy for advanced training out there at Tanglewood. And... Um, when I learned that I was going to be a finalist for this job, which was very unexpected, uh, I thought, holy mackerel, I better get a tour of the school. Uh, after all, I'd been working one long block away for 23 years, and I had never been inside the conservatory's main building. I had been to a couple of music theater productions in what was then uh, a, a pretty undistinguished and, and uh, underfunded little auditorium, which is now our beautiful theater. Um, but I'd never seen the inside of the building. So, as it happens, I had just bought a new pair of shoes for the interview I had just come from, and they were killing me. And I lived just two blocks away at the piano factory. So I thought, okay, I'm still wearing my suit for the interview. I'm just going to go home and just get the most comfortable footwear I could find. It happened to be a pair of green sneakers. And so I showed up at the front door of the conservatory. Uh, Carmen Griggs, my great former colleague who just retired, um, gave me quite a look when she realized she was supposed to give this person a tour, you know, dressed in a business suit and green sneakers. We, we had the tour, and it wasn't 10 minutes into the tour that all the fire alarms went off, and the school emptied out onto the sidewalk. And it was a beautiful early May day, and I just sort of stood to a side, and I thought, okay, let me observe. What, what does this group of people look like? What do they feel like? How do they interact? And it very quickly became clear that there was real warmth, real affection, and real easy communication. I couldn't tell in all cases who were students and who were faculty. And I thought, wow, if I'm going to, if I'm going to join a new family, in fact, lead a new family, wouldn't this be the great one to join, the great one to lead? And uh, it has proven so. What leaders and visionaries inside and outside of music, theater, or dance have influenced you and your approach? I, I do go back to Tanglewood years mm -hmm. and to the work I did with Leonard Bernstein. Um, this is a man who, who knew no artificial boundaries between popular and classical music and railed against uh, being called either one or the other as a composer throughout his career. Um, he knew that all of us of my generation, you know, um, the, the folks at Tanglewood, Dawn Upshaw and Sandy Sylvan and so many others, we were steeped in classical music and trying to learn everything we could about the repertory. But the moment we got home, we were listening to Frank Zappa and Joni Mitchell and the Rolling Stones and Joe Zawinul. And we were, we were children of our time. Uh, we were American children of our time, if you will. And... Bernstein encouraged that, and I realized that I wanted to encourage that at the conservatory. I think <clears throat> we took pains to become a distinctly American place. Mm -hmm. Certainly that tradition in dance has now taken over. The theater department, of course, is American musical mm -hmm. theater. And the composition and, and uh, instrumental divisions focus on the new works of living composers, uh, not exclusively, but as a, you know, as a badge of honor, uh, and this is who we are. 
Um, I also had great mentors in terms of uh, institutional culture and how you work mm -hmm. with a board, how you raise the money you're going to need to mm -hmm. raise. Mm -hmm. And um, there, nobody in my experience was more entrepreneurial than one of my predecessors, Albert Alfin, uh, who was director of the Boston Conservatory for some 30 years and really created the conservatory that we know today. And when you read his history, when you read how he turned his music studio business into the Boston Conservatory, uh, you get a very clear view of that kind of leadership. So um, they're great examples to follow everywhere you look. Speaking of great examples to follow, Boston Conservatory was one of the very first schools in the United States to admit women, am mm -hmm. I correct, and to admit students of color? Can Absolutely, yeah. fill our listeners in a little bit on that history? Sure. The conservatory dates from February of 1867. And you think of what was going on in 1867 yeah. in Europe. You know, the Blue Danube Waltz had just premiered and Verdi Don Carlos was being um, performed in Paris. And... Our illustrious founder, Julius Eichberg, who was a violin prodigy, trained at the conservatory in Belgium, made the trip to America and decided that Boston would be the place where he would found his conservatory, which was based on great conservatory models in Europe, but the distinctly American flavor that he wanted it to, the flavor and, and shape that he wanted it to have was that of America. Remember, the Civil War was just, just two ending. years yeah over at that point. Some Boston institutions, Harvard University, you know, and were, was, you know, already 200 years old at that point. Uh, the Boston Public Library was 20 years old. The Boston Symphony Orchestra, the Museum of Fine Arts, they hadn't been invented yet. Mm. They were 20 years in the future still. And he decided that among the things he could do uh, was to admit women and students of color um, who he believed would have professional opportunity if they were trained uh, in a conservatory model. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, he pioneered that. Uh, first all-female string quartet, uh, the first uh, opera, uh, uh, one of his own compositions, to be performed by an African-American opera company in Washington, D.C. There were any number of firsts in the conservatory's first 40 years, first grand opera department in the country, the first dance program to focus both on ballet and modern dance, that scary mm -hmm. thing, modern with a capital M. Um, the first drama department to focus exclusively on musical theater. And the firsts have continued. Yes, yeah, so when did dance and musical theater, when were those introduced into the conservatory, roughly speaking? Roughly. The, the dance division was founded by Jan Wien um, as an enclave of modern dance probably in the, I should know this, and I'm sorry I don't. I want to say around 1928, possibly a little later, early 30s. Mm -hmm. uh, the theater division, um, I know it was there from the 60s onward, um, but it wasn't until the mid or late 1970s that Neil Donahoe um, mm -hmm. had the idea that we could distinguish ourselves by focusing on the American musical theater repertory. Yeah, those must have been radical decisions They were also. radical decisions, yeah. Yeah, not many conservatories include music theater and dance. Right. Now, as far as we know, only the Juilliard School does. Right. And the chairman of the board there, the beloved late Mary Rogers, you mm -hmm. know, daughter of Richard Rogers, mm -hmm. used to complain that Juilliard wouldn't do musical theater, even given... <laughs> her presence there <laughs> and their presence, you know, one block yeah. from Broadway. Yeah. It was an enormous frustration for Mary. 
Other conservatories are certainly taking note of this bold move and are watching us with interest. What does the merger mean for the future of conservatory education in general? I think we, we have to talk about the three divisions a little bit mm -hmm. separately. Mm -hmm. um, I think the way forward for dance is clear in the, in the Berkeley universe. Um, Kathy Young, great leader of the dance division, uh, can't wait to put together a jazz dance program that has her dancers working with the Berkeley Global Jazz Institute uh, performers. Um, those are two brilliant groups of young performers who indeed, indeed, in theater. Uh, Neil Donahoe uh, has in mind both a new works program, uh, which would take best advantage of a lot of the Berkeley expertise in scoring and music direction, um, and our current expertise in all things having to do with performance on stage and create something new in that realm. And together, uh, we've been thinking about a, a live event and theater tech program, mm -hmm. unlike any other in the country, um, that would enable participants to gain experience in calling shows as complex as, you know, Lady Gaga at halftime. Um, a conventional stage manager can't do that. Mm -hmm. With the training available through uh, Berkeley and Berkeley alums who are out there in the world doing this, uh, we believe we can start a program like none other. Indeed. The music division um, is a head-scratcher, and it, it is therefore the most fun and the most interesting to think about. Um, we both have string departments. We both have brass departments. We both have composition departments. And while nobody's suggesting that those departments merge or meld, they have very distinctive personalities on the two sides, I think each of us in the, in the music performance area at Berkeley and the music performance area at the conservatory feel that we have a lot to gain from the other. Uh, you know, to be more specific, um, I would love to see a day when conserv conservatory music students can take advantage of, um, say, a minor in music therapy or music business or recording and engineering. Um, I would love for conservatory students to have access to the Institute for Contemporary Entrepreneurship that exists at Berkeley and have those kinds of experiences. Um, I would love all of the conservatory students, whether music, dance, or theater, to take heed of the new tech baseline that most Berkeley students uh, have as a matter of course. Um, whether it's about the laptop requirement and the great software that's loaded in there or the presence of, you know, MTech 111, a basic course and the nature of sound and the nature of digital technology. These are skills that most conventional conservatories are not offering. We can. And the only question is how to make room for it in the curriculum. There, are, Some of the things that we know we want to do are kind of easy to do because they're, they're not curricular. They're co-curricular. Um, we already have conservatory students performing with the Berkeley Silent Film Orchestra and gigging and touring with that orchestra. They love it. Um, similarly, we want to make it possible for Berkeley string players and other players of orchestral instruments to audition into the Conservatory Symphony Orchestra, um, schedules permitting. And that's always, that's always the challenge, isn't it? Schedules permitting. As you prepare to step down as president of the Boston Conservatory. What does it feel like to be leaving at this point in time? Hmm. 
Um, I guess I, I think about my departure not as stepping down, but stepping aside. Mm. Um, nice. There, there is a role for me, um, senior advisor, and mm -hmm. we, we're going to have to mm -hmm. see um, what that means. I think a lot depends on who my successor is. My mm -hmm. successor is the new executive director mm -hmm. of Boston Conservatory at Berkeley. Um, I would love to be uh, useful in the transition. I would love to continue to be useful as a spokesperson for the new combined institution. I would love to be useful stewarding the philanthropic relationships that the conservatory has developed. We want those supporters to keep supporting. Um, beyond that, I, you know, it's a mixture of uh, excitement to be doing a little less Mm -hmm. uh, speaking speak, speaking yeah. very personally, you know, first time in 40 years not to be anyone's boss or anyone's supervisor. I can't wait. Um, first time to spend a summer back out at Tanglewood where I still have a house. I uh, haven't been out there for a full summer in 20 years, so that's exciting. Mm. And as part of the Pro Arts Consortium, uh, the seven colleges of uh, visual and performing arts, We've hatched a scheme that is just in its infancy, and I seem to be the convener mm -hmm. for that concept. And we're, we're talking about creating an artist village for the city of Boston. Um, I don't want to say too much about it at this point, but if that idea gains traction, I'll probably continue to do some work um, moving that forward. Mm -hmm. um, I'm very excited to be leaving the conservatory at this moment because of the kind of goodwill that I think is being established uh, in Berkeley's senior leadership, in the conservatory's senior leadership. Uh, great people are going to carry this work forward. So I, I'm not worried about it, mm -hmm. if that's what you think. Um, Speaking of goodwill, uh, if I may recall, the vote at the Berkeley board, when you came to the board, when the Berkeley board was being asked to vote on the merger, and you stood up and said to the board, this is my father of the bride moment. And I will never forget that because it conveyed so much of your love of your institution and your focus on the future well-being of That's your right. institution. And it involved a lot of trust. And it involved a lot of right. trust. You are going to take care of this precious thing that I'm entrusting to you. Indeed. Yeah. And I think, again, I'm quite certain that you and I share a sense that, yes, we are the present. We live in the musical present, but the students in our care are the future. And the better we can do by these young people coming into our care, the better the world will be going forward. That's a beautiful way to end this interview. <laughs> Thank you, Melissa. So beautifully said. Always. Thank you, Richard. A pleasure. I agree. Um, thank you both, Richard and Melissa, for being here, for having this wonderful conversation. This episode was engineered by students Diami Wilson and Lauren Dorlin in partnership with The Burn. I'm Leslie O'Connell for Inside Berkeley.